a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Utah Weekly Forum, a public affairs show dedicated to learning more about the issues affecting our lives and health and exploring the resources available in our diverse communities to help. Here's your host, Rebecca Cressman. Welcome to Utah Weekly Forum, and it's wonderful today to be able to talk about some of the advanced research and on health today. We're going to talk about the heredity, the population study as it's been mapping DNA and associating that with our health. So joining us today is Jason Gilman. He's the Precision Health Operations Director uh, with Heredigene. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So even as I, you know, seek to try to explain what heredigene is, can you give us the big picture? Certainly. So heredigene is a population health study that uh, we launched a, a few years ago now in the Mountain Healthcare, where we are enrolling um, patients in a into a study that we take um, some of their blood and do a whole genome sequencing. So we we essentially look at the entirety of their DNA. Um, and with their associated health record, so that way we can um, make new discoveries or even um, identify diseases and, and areas of concern now. But it's also uh, a forward-looking t- uh, type of study to where we're looking for, um, you know, areas in the within the DNA that are that put people at potential higher risk for things like cancers or hypercholesterolemia or or other types of diseases that we know have a genetic link, but but also um, we're we're discovering new new DNA uh, or links to to genetics and disease. So it's kind of a twofold idea. So if I just use myself as an example, if you have my health record and then you have my DNA that's been gathered, you can start to look for kind of associations and say, uh, this woman had breast cancer. Uh, let's check to see whether or not there's any kind of mutation that might be responsible for that. Either one that's already been found, like the BRCA1 and BRCA2 or, or the check, or let's see whether there's something that just hasn't been found yet. So you kind of just match that record to what the the different DNA image is for each patient? Yeah, absolutely. So we are looking at past the history. So if you had a history of breast cancer, um, then what was the outcome? That might be, there might be something telling within the DNA. Um, and one of the one of the cool things that we can do is we take this, this concept, because it's such a big study, is that it's not a individual anymore. We're looking at groups and cohorts. So there might be 20 or 30 people that had a very similar outcome of a breast cancer that you might have experienced. And we can compare what was what was different about this group that did better than this group or 
why did this group of individuals survive versus these that, that didn't survive? The potential is is endless within comparing what is our what is our health and how does our DNA impact those outcomes and how does it predict? So um, yeah, we can do both. It sounds very, very powerful. And of course, I, as soon as I heard about the Heredigene study uh, about a year and a half ago, I went to a local Intermountain uh, healthcare lab and said, take my blood. I'm very curious to see what else I could be vulnerable to, or maybe my own uh, health history can help someone down the road as you continue researching. And I wanted to talk about that because it, since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, when we talk about helping someone down the road, isn't it true that there was a patient, I think she was in the St. George area, that had enrolled in the, in the heredigene study and she was alerted that she was carrying DNA mutation that would put her at higher risk? Yeah, yeah. So Maddie, she's a local um, a, a woman that enrolled, very young, uh, early 20s, I think. I don't even think she's 25 yet. Wow. Um, and we discovered a, uh, a mutation related to breast cancer. I can't remember if it was BRCA1 or BRCA2, but it does increase her risk between 60 to 80% over her lifetime of developing breast cancers, breast and, and ovarian cancer, actually. It's, it's, uh, Both. Mm-hmm. it's not just breast cancers. So um, what that does, though, is once we, when, because we discovered that so early within her life, is that now we have a map for her over the next 20, 30, and even 40 years of, of how we can prevent early detection um, you know, the other measures that we can take with Maddie in order for her to prevent breast cancer. Right. So in the short term, probably not a lot to do other than continuous screenings every six months, every year, um, making sure that she's, that she's healthy. And then as she progresses in age and that risk increases, then we have more uh, interventions to help her prevent breast cancer. Well, and one of the interventions that uh, was just launched by Intermountain is called an abbreviated MRI. And that abbreviated MRI uses the, the traditional magnetic resonance imaging machines that are in the hospitals, but focuses only on the breast area. And it gives increased sensitivity uh, to be able to identify early cancers. So women who are at higher risk of breast cancer, like Maddie, that you're describing, she now has an additional tool that can be used in her screening process if that's what uh, she and her healthcare providers um, decide. So, yeah, it is very powerful when it comes to saving lives, having that information early. How many people have participated so far in the Heredigene population study? So we are over 150,000 participants so far. Um, we're hoping to add another 100,000 over the next 15 months. So we'd be at about 250,000 people over the course of the of the study. And while we talked a, a moment ago about breast cancer, what else have you learned through the Heredigene study? Yeah, so we're, we're detecting things that are fairly common within the population. So hypercholesterolemia, which is um, an increase in uh, patients that naturally develop higher cholesterol than other, than other patients. And there's also a uh, blood disorder where patients or, or people, they have too much iron. And it can actually lead to um, liver cancers. I can't remember the exact name of the the disease. It's it's my Latin's getting weaker the older I get. But it has a very archaic type of of intervention where we just let out a pint of blood once a month that helps reduce that iron uh, within the blood. 
We've also detected some novel things. We were part of a, a larger study with the, with the data that we have of detecting genes that are associated with vertigo, um, which was a, a pretty groundbreaking idea because vertigo is one of those things that as it presents, uh, as a patient experiences symptoms, they might think they're having a stroke, they're dizzy, they're, there's all kinds of issues. So they naturally go to the ER. What we've determined is actually there's a set of genes that people have where they're susceptible to vertigo and, oh, excuse me, vertigo, and they don't need to be going to the ER. Well, we have other interventions that will help them so they don't have to go to the ER and go through the entire stroke protocol and rack up you know, $20,000 worth of bills. Instead, we've detected these genes, we know that you have them, your treatment is to, you know, stay in a dark room for a couple of days, rest, water, you know, um, lots of lots of fluids, and it'll pass. So there's other discoveries that are coming as well. The intention of heterogene is to to look across the the spectrum of life, um, across a diverse, biologically diverse uh, population which will help us discover even more of these types of things. Well, when you share that groundbreaking uh, discovery that there is a genetic uh, basis that could be leading to all these vertigo cases, and it's quite popular, right? I mean, or common uh, for people to experience mm-hmm. vertigo. If someone has participated in the Heredogene study, how are they alerted that they might have that genetic tendency to develop vertigo? How does that process work? So we have a team of genetic counselors and and medical geneticists that review the data as it comes back in. If a patient has a pathogenic or likely pathogenic genes, something that could be causing harm or or potential for disease, then um, then that's reviewed. We do a um, what we call a, a confirmation testing. We have a, a laboratory down here in St. George. We do confirmation testing for the genes to make sure that they're real. Um, because you always want, <laughs> always want a second opinion, sure. and uh, and then we notify the patient through our genetic counseling processes. Um, now, patients need to elect to be contacted. Um, a lot of patients decide, you know what, take my blood, do my DNA, here's my health record, but I don't want to know because if there's, if I'm a early onset for Alzheimer's, I don't want to worry about it because there's no intervention. But um, a vast majority of our patients elect to if they have something that. Uh, is pathogenic or likely pathogenic, then we contact them through that process. Well, and you mentioned genetic counselors. Um, that might be new for some of us. Does a genetic counselor just specialize in helping us have those conversations about what the DNA is telling us about our health and the potential future for ourselves? Yeah, yeah. So genetic counselors, um, they, they definitely specialize in genetics, and they're looking at, um, you know, different specialty areas. So I have three different types of genetic cancers. We have uh, oncology, we have uh, maternal fetal medicine, and then um, we have cardiac, so cardiology genetic counselors. Each one of those specialize in a different set of diseases and genetic uh, connections. They're fantastic in guiding patients because as you can understand, some of these things have some pretty life-altering decisions that need to be made. A, a, a woman that's diagnosed in her you know, 20s with, with BRCA1 or BRCA2, 60 to 80% uh, increase over the lifespan of, of developing breast cancer. Some women elect to do life-altering types of interventions, up to you know, mastectomies and hysterectomies. And, and so we need, or we need to have specialized individuals that can help these patients through these processes to understand what this actually means. Risk doesn't mean certainty, but it definitely, we need to be watching, preventing, and intervening when we need to. 
Right. And, you know, I'm a part of a couple of support groups that include some of these young women. And I, it's about, I think, 9% of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer are under the age of 40. So it used to always be that we'd say, hey, if you're over 40, that's when you need to watch for it. But we still have a percentage of women who will develop breast cancer below, before the age of 40. So it's more rare that it happens. But when the genetics are pointing in that direction, then that's more, it's scary. It is scary to get that kind of information for a woman, but it also provides her information that could be and will be life-saving. For those who just joined us, we're talking to Jason Gilman. He's the Precision Health Operations Director with Intermountain. We're talking about the heredogene population study and how already information that has been gathered from this is informing some of the patients that they have genetic mutations that might put them at higher risk of vertigo or might put them at higher risk of, did you say higher cholesterol? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, hypercholesterolemia. <clears throat> it can be a, it's a genetic disorder where we develop too much cholesterol within our blood. Which is, it's just such a surprise to me that that has a genetic you know, foundation behind it. But again, if you have that information, then you know I have to take intervention or I, I have the choice to make different steps in my healthcare and the way I eat and live my life to um, have the healthiest and longest life possible. So is Intermountain partnering with others around the world in this population study? Yeah, so our, our partner is Decode Genetics, but it's Decode. They're in uh, Reykjavik, Iceland. And Kari, uh, I can't remember Kari's last name, but Kari is the, the director there, um, is well known within the genetics community uh, for population, population health studies. So he's, they sequenced nearly everybody on the, on the, in Iceland um, as part of their portion of DECODE. And then, of course, we're doing this study here in, in Utah and Southern Idaho. And is there a reason so why, is, I was going to say, is there a reason why Utah and Idaho DNA is being used? Well, partially because that's where Intermountain Healthcare is. Um, the other thing is that it is somewhat of a homogenous population where there's not a lot of biodiversity, which sounds counter to what we want within a larger genetic study, but um, that actually helps us when we're looking for like subsets of populations if it's a little more homogenous. Um, now, we need, to brand, we need to be looking at genetics across the spectrum of, of uh races and, and other populations, but it made sense to compare these data that we're gathering with the, the DECO data, which is also very homogenous um, within the, the country of Iceland. Um, DECO is backed, this, this whole project is backed by a pharmaceutical company named Amgen. That's where the driver of the funding comes from. Yeah, it was very intentional of having Utah and Southern Idaho, and then we are actually branching out. We'd like to take our the study into Nevada, where we have our new healthcare partners in Nevada, and then also um, Intermountain acquired some hospitals in, in the Denver, Montana, those states. So we'll expand into those when we can. So what happens as you continue to add more and more individuals to the population study? What does that give researchers? Some of the diseases that we're looking at are very rare. One person in 100,000, one person in, you know, even 50,000. When we expand out and have a large swath, then, then we're able to detect patterns within the DNA, within the biology, even when they're, when they're very rare. Because if we can capture these individuals, um, 
that sounds very terrible, but <laughs> we can uh, we can find individuals with specific and rare disease and compare them to other people with the same thing. So then we can determine interventions, preventions, and treatments. So it's it's important to be uh, big for now. I, I think the the next phases of heredogene. Um, are going to be disease-specific. I think you're going to start seeing a, a drilling down in cardiology or neurology, um, even in oncology where we, we have a lot of DNA information anyway, but we will start to drill down even further, include more people, and then have a, uh, a, a broader look at what the disease is, how it's happening, and why. Now, this might sound like a kind of a genetic, generic question, uh, Jason, but why would a healthcare or hospital organization be motivated to participate in a population study like this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the, the reason Intermountain was, very, was interested in doing this is because it's the right thing to do. We know that DNA and genetics is a driver and a predictor of way more things within our lifespan than we actually know right now. Um, one of my one of my leaders, David Jones, uh, who was one of our chief science officers, would tell you. So statistically, about eighty percent of cancer is is environmentally caused, and only about twenty or less percent is genetically caused. Dave Jones would argue the opposite. He would say that all cancer is genetically caused because it's our DNA repair. It's our ability for our DNA to repair itself over time that is the predictor of cancer. If we have lower DNA repair, um, if, our, if our DNA doesn't repair as well as others, then we have a higher risk. That's not been proven in, in the literature and through the science yet because we're just scratching the surface. So um, we think that, that this will be a driver of healthcare moving forward. So it's the right thing to do, but it's also, it's better for patients. Um, if we can predict and we can prevent, that's always a better outcome for patients. And then in long term, it's it's a healthcare savings. People will not need to do these interventions like I talked about with, with vertigo. You don't need to go into the ER. Like we, we can save those, those that money for the patients and for the healthcare system. So trying to drive costs down. So higher, better quality care or lower cost. Right. And more information in the hands of patients as well, which to me, uh, to some people, it might be um, add some anxiety and, and fear. For me, it's it's quite empowering to have that information. And it's interesting that you were just having a conversation about the DNA repairing itself, because I remember sitting right across from an oncology radiologist and we were talking about me being at greater risk, right, for this breast cancer to possibly return. And, you know, whether or not how much radiation I should receive based on that. And I remember leaning forward and saying, but what we don't know yet, whether genetically I am at higher risk of um, my body not being able to fight this breast cancer off. Or I, I'm not using That's the right. correct terminology, but I said, we don't know yet how much <laughs> of my immune system is influenced by genetics. Um, and because my mother had passed away from breast cancer and my grandmother. And and he said, you're right. It, that is a question we haven't answered yet. And yet the heredogene study may give us those kind of answers. That's very powerful, Jason. It is. It's incredibly powerful. And um, and you're right. We it, It's incredible of the amount of information that we have 
and the amount of information we still need. For those who have just joined us, this is Jason Gilman. He's the Precision Health Operations Director as we talk about the heretogene population study and some of it's already the impact that it's having on those who are participating in the study. For those who want to participate, because you are indicating you want at least another, is it 100,000 to participate in this study? Yeah, that's right. 100,000 more people. How do we do it? It's really simple. If you visit an Intermountain facility, um, any any of the, our facilities of the laboratory, we have people on site to consent patients so they, they understand what we're going to be doing and what we're not going to be doing with their information. Um, and then uh, it's, it's a donation of a small amount of blood. And um, we ship that off to, to our partners at Decode for the sequencing. And then we'll return results like we talked about if we find something. Um, patients can either do that as, as just as part of their normal visits, any, any of our facilities with the laboratory. Um, they can sign up online. That's on intermountainhealthcare.org. Okay. And then uh, the other way to participate is if you have been to a facility for any other procedure and, and used and we took any amount of blood, then we will contact you. We will actually, I, we have a team that will call you and say, hey, you are here, you donated or you had samples of blood available. Can we use it for this study? So we have it multiple ways to make it as easy as we possibly can for patients to enroll. So, yeah, we just we need as many people that can enroll as, as possible. Uh, and can you also give us the big picture, Jason, on how long this heretogene population study will be going on? Well, we, we'd like to think it will go on indefinitely um, because it's, it's so important. The more information we gather over time associated with these health records is, is really how we're going to make these more, make more discoveries. Right now, though, the, the target is to finish in the current state of enrollment by the end of 2023. Um, we're looking at extending that into the end of 2024 or 2025. But um, like I mentioned before, I think what we're going to do at the end of this cycle of, of testing, then we're going to start to drill down in disease-specific areas. That's fantastic. And, and Jason, I want to thank you for allowing me to share a little bit of my uh, personal experience. The other thing I wanted to share is that as an oncology patient, I've heard more and more about a term called precision medicine. And it might not be a term that everyone's familiar with, but the idea of having a good understanding of a disease and how it's affecting a particular patient and then giving that particular patient the best drilled down treatments or interventions that um, research has shown will be for that individual patient. So rather than, hey, we're going to give everybody the same treatment, precision is about tailoring uh, the type of treatment we have. And this type of genetic information to me leads to better precision medical treatments in the future for all of us. That's right. So that's, that's, that's what I actually, my day job is, is uh, we, we run a cancer uh, somatic tissue sequencing. So, so tumors, um, we sequence those with a smaller panel. So heredogene uses a whole genome, looks across the entirety of the DNA. Um, we, use a, we use a test called, um, we call it Theramap. But it looks at about 550 known pathogenic variants, so known pathogenic mutations within in the DNA. That um, when a when a patient has cancer, then we can target those individual um, genes with a mutation with targeted treatments. So, you know, DNA is a protein. We can bind drug to to attack those individual mutations within a within a patient's tumor. 
So that is, it's better outcomes. Um, it's not, you know, one size fits all type of chemotherapies. Uh, and and pa- patients are, are responding much, much better to these treatments. To me, it's an exciting field of study because it means you won't have to go through treatments you don't need and you will get the best treatment for you as a patient. This is all exciting. It's the Heretogene Population Study, easy to participate with by simply uh, donating blood at the labs within Intermountain. And this is Jason Gilman. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Thank you for having me. This is great. Utah Weekly Forum is produced by KSFI FM 100.3 in Salt Lake City, a Bonneville International Station. Subscribe to the Utah Weekly Forum podcast online and email us at Rebecca at FM100.com. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything it was violent it was senseless and i will never understand it i will never accept it i'm amy donaldson and unfortunately we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt in a new podcast the letter we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.